Coming up on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, first we describe, try to at least, what the hell happened against the Chicago Bulls. It was a second meltdown, much worse than the Washington Wizards one, but still a couple of meltdowns this weekend. We address the Andre Drummond rumors, the game against the Miami Heat tonight, and this. So this was the closest thing in a while for me where I was like, wow, I'm physically like emotionally upset by this. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. I think I speak for everybody when I say we're all still a little disoriented. We all are still not exactly sure what happened on Saturday what night. What happened? Um, it was a... It was as bad a meltdown as I had seen. And we're talking about the Charlotte Hornets. What did you just do? It's still as bad of a meltdown as I've seen from the Hornets. And this includes the game on Friday where they lost to the Washington Wizards. They passed that in epic proportions. Losing to the Chicago Bulls 116 to 115 in a in a space where I, I'm still not exactly sure how it happened. And I'm not exactly sure if Eric Collins knows how it happened. That was an amazing call. I, I hate that my favorite call of Eric Collins comes in that scenario where he was just brilliant in the end of that game. And there was just so there's no! so many great comparisons of the tough as woodpecker lips to hotter than a pepper sprout. I, I'm here for all of that. And yet I don't know if anything encapsulates the feelings like that call did at the end of the Chicago Bulls game. I hate myself for that being my favorite call. Yet here we are trying to realize exactly what happened in that Bulls game where they lost after holding a five-point lead with 11 seconds to go. Well, and the the other thing about Eric Collins is, one, he knew it was coming. Like he started his ascent into that call as soon as the ball found its way to Zach Levine. That's number one. Number two... You could tell in Eric's voice, Eric's a big gamer, and you could tell in Eric's voice that he was trying to thread the needle between being excited about one of the most, the craziest, most exciting finishes that you're going to get in a regular season, and that we've seen as a Charlotte Hornets audience since Jeremy Lamb uh, made that crazy miracle half-court shot against the Toronto Raptors, but he's threading the needle between that and knowing that everyone at home is stunned, they're disappointed, they're angry. And and a lot of people at home probably match the emotions that were going on with the players. I mean, you could see it on the faces of Miles Bridges and Devontae Graham and Bismack Biombo, who just had hands on his knees at the end of that game. I mean, they they gave a lot to that game to come away with their 11th loss of the season. And I mean, we can, I'd love to just kind of break this game down because I think it, it says a lot about why the Hornets are struggling the way they are after their surprising start. Let's break it down then, Doug. How about Zach Levine, of course, hitting the last shot. He was amazing in this game. Hit all he the had, shots. Yeah, he, he had 49 points and he hit all the shots in the fourth quarter. 27 in the fourth quarter for Zach Levine hitting I, was it 12 or 13 three-pointers? It, it ended, 13. Up, ended up being 13 three-pointers. Second pointers. most Thir- all time, I think. Yeah, it was second most. I was actually talking about this with my buddies during the game. Clay Thompson has the record with 14. Zach Levine tied for second with that 
go ahead three pointer that eventually win the game for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, watching him destroy the Charlotte Hornets really single handedly. Kobe White was able to provide some production. Wendell Carter had a decent game, but I mean, it was Zach Levine that just torched the Charlotte Hornets. Um, you want to break down the last play first? Let's start there, Doug. So Sadoransky hits that three pointer to bring them within two. Then Terry Rozier brings the ball out of bounds, passes it to Devonte Graham. He gets really triple teamed, certainly double teamed right there under the basket. Nowhere to go. No foul called. I saw Hornets fans upset about that. Then they throw, then he throws and they steal it. Zach Levine steals it. Just a beautiful jump shot. The thing was so wet. It was perfect form. And a lot of people thought that Zach Levine traveled on that play. Uh, just your overall thoughts on exactly what took place in those two plays, right? Sadoransky's three, Levine's three. Yeah, I don't care if Zach Levine traveled. And and honestly, I don't care if they fouled Devontae Graham. I, I don't think you make either of those calls at the end of that insane game. If you're the Charlotte Hornets, there were 900 opportunities for you to win that basketball game. So I'm going to throw away those two pieces of analysis. I don't care what the, the two-minute report comes back and says, because if you're Miles Bridges, you just, you cannot, he looked like a ballet dancer. Like he looked like he was doing swan, his Swan Lake impression, uh, biting on that Sadoransky fake and just completely <laughs> taking himself out of the play. Look, there, you don't want to foul in that situation, but there's not fouling and then there's doing whatever Miles Bridges was doing. I have no idea. And then Devontae Graham, you got to get in the fetal position, man. You, I don't know what was happening there, but you cannot lose the basketball in that situation, you have to force them to foul you. It was just a, it was, it was panic everywhere, panic at the disco, panic at the Spectrum Center, and the Hornets go down. But I want to take a look at a play that happened a, a few possessions before that. This was, uh, the Hornets were up 113 to 108, 22 seconds to go. They were up five with less than 15, but they were up 113, 108 with 22 seconds to go. There was a sideline out-of-bounds play for Chicago after a timeout. Archie Diacono runs around a back screen. Biz and Rozier switch that screen. Graham is guarding Kobe White. White cuts towards the corner to look for the corner three feed from Diacono. And he gets the feed from Diacono because Graham inexplicably turns around and, and watches Diacono cut baseline, had no reason to turn around in that situation, loses White, and then White gets the feed from Archie Diacono. Graham was behind the play. He had to over-pursue. White drives by him for the easy layup. And it, it was just those little small the defensive details, and you could look at several plays, 47 points in the fourth quarter they allowed. You could look at so many plays in the fourth quarter of both this game and Washington, small defensive details like Graham turning around, losing his man, watching the ball that have sunk the Hornets in this situation. Those type of defensive breakdowns, those lead to regular losses, okay? But if you string enough of them together, like the Hornets did against Chicago, they lead to spectacular losses. And that's what this was, a spectacular loss. The Chicago Bulls scored 13 points in the third quarter, and they scored 47 points. 47 points in the fourth quarter. The Hornets scored 41, which it's insane within itself, but the Bulls scored 47 in the final quarter of action because of what you said in a well-put way, a spectacular loss that saw Zach Levine score 27 of those 47 in the fourth of all of the defensive breakdowns where nobody could figure out 
how to guard the Chicago Bulls. You mentioned some of the breakdowns by Miles Bridges at the end. I, It's just jumping out of the gym to jump out of the gym. It's funny because that kind of stuff saves him on help side defense every once in a while, him being athletic in the paint, and then he just decides to run and, hit, like you said, do his ballet impression right out of bounds. Just, here you go, Sadoransky. Here's a wide open three. I'm not going to close out. I'm just going to jump because I can jump, and I can jump really high. Devontae Graham needs to hold on to the ball better. I saw some people getting mad at Terry Rozier for that pass. I don't really hate that pass. I mean, your goal as the inbounder is to get the damn get the ball, ball in play. Get the ball. Get in. the damn ball in play. So if Devontae Graham has a little window where he can receive that pass and you feel safe enough, you're not going to count, well, let me see if I look for something better and, and find something safer. No, you get it into Devontae. I mean, Devontae needs to hold on to it. So Devontae just panics like you said, and then... It, you, we, all, we all know what happens there, but I, I don't have any problem with Terry Rozier, and I completely also agree with you, Doug, about, okay, no foul call, no travel. Man, that, that is petty. I mean, the Chicago Bulls, they beat the Hornets. I, they, they had two miraculous plays, and I have zero, zero problem with the no calls. Oh, it's even crazier if you understood the drama that was going on at the time with Zach Levine and, and the Chicago Bulls head coach, Jim Boylan. Mm-hmm. These guys are at each other's throats right now, and they're saying all the right things in the media. Um, but they, they are de- there's definitely some tension between those two, and Zach Levine just goes out there and torches. I mean, that's all he did in this game. Like, look at the box score. <laughs> Levine did nothing else in this game except find open opportunities for three-point shots and knock them down. And uh, the Hornets had every reason to win this game. They got a double-double out of Graham, 18-10. and 10. Marvin Williams was amazing in the second half. You were getting vintage Marvin. You were getting Utah Jazz Marvin. He was doing it from three. He was doing it in the post. He was doing it off the dribble. Like, he was touched by an angel in this game. He had everything going. And you, you throw it all away. You waste it because of defensive mistakes. And, and what I would ask you, Walker, and everyone listening— I would ask you this, when the defensive mistakes are so pervasive, it's not just Miles Bridges, it's not just Devontae Graham, I mean, the defensive mistakes were all over the floor, and when the rotation has been as inconsistent as it has been in the fourth quarter, you never know who is going to to close games, like how much of, and, and then you have no timeouts going into that last inbounds play, how much blame do we lay at the feet of Coach James Borrego? Oh, I think you have to lay a lot at the feet of James Borrego. I mean, look, you can't go out there and close out on shooters. You know, I'm sure James Borrego didn't have it in the game plan of Miles Bridges to jump out of bounds on that shot by Sadoransky. You know, I'm, I'm sure that there was a lot of things that Borrego didn't call, but at the end of the day, you know, that's part of the evaluation of a coach is getting your team ready and disciplined enough to find a way to consistently perform on that end of the floor. Defense has been really bad for the Hornets this season. Look, I don't know we can talk about wins and losses and how we shouldn't use it as a measuring stick when we evaluate James Borrego because this is not a team that's going to win a ton of games with the Hornets. But, but you can't you spectacularly lose. Yeah. Like you no, can't I lose understand. it. There's there's losing because the, there's a Brandon there's a Brandon Ingram on the other side of the floor and he's just uh, just incredible and knocks you out against New Orleans or you know Bradley Beal. I mean even the Washington loss. Yes, that's another fourth quarter collapse. But Bradley Beal imposed his will on on a team that looked tired against Washington that looked like they had been on a four-game road trip okay I can I can give you that Uh, but this was an opportunity for them to win a basketball game that and they had everything going offensively and nothing going defensively and that was supposed to be the focus that that's where you're supposed to see improvement in this team is on the defensive end 
and, and I'm just I'm looking at these rotations uh, on on Popcorn Machine in the fourth quarter over the past couple of games, Walker, and you just never know who's going to play. You don't know if you're going to go Zeller, no Zeller. I mean, the playing groups are just kind of all over the place, and I'm wondering if that's contributing somewhat to guys not knowing exactly where they're going to be on defense and not knowing if they can trust that somebody's going to be behind them because they don't know who's going to be behind them. If you look at the rotations of Washington and Chicago in both of these games, you saw two coaches that knew who they were going to play in the fourth quarter in the last eight minutes, and they stuck with it. And and you you don't see that from the Hornets, and I'm a little confused by that. Yeah, Nick Batum, 16 minutes in this game, no foul trouble for him. Malik Monk, 19 minutes after having a really good game against Washington. You're right. You know, At some point, it's fun to see James Borrego switch up the lineups and go with what's working. And at the same time, I think it's fair to question exactly what kind of level of consistency do these lineups need in order for the lineups to get comfortable and, and cohesive playing together. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Find us all on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson, LOH. And you can find the show handle at Locked On Hornets. We got plenty more to talk about. Road trip recap. Andre Drummond rumors are out there. We'll talk about it next year on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked on Hornets. They're running their rookies to Greensboro. They're driving them to Greensboro and then driving them back the same day to play in an NBA game. I cannot (laughs) wait until the Hornets load manage. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Of course, we share all of our thoughts on how bad that loss was. The defense was poor. Still trying to wrap our brains exactly how all of that happened. And then we get off of the first segment. And then Doug mentions to me as soon as we go to break. And in the end, it doesn't matter because it enhances our chance at getting a better draft pick, which you're correct about that. In the end, it really doesn't matter in that sense. But it doesn't make you feel any less upset. Like I watched the condensed game uh, recap again to prepare for this show, and I felt upset about it. And, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm reading um, Basketball and Other Things by Shea Serrano, great, great book. And there are a lot of points in the book where he will recap something that uh, happened to the San Antonio Spurs in a playoff series or in a final series. And uh, something disappointing happens to the Spurs and he'll say, I can't talk about it. You know, I can't write about it. It's too <laughs> painful. And I'm like, man, what must that feel like to go through something that's that intense about your basketball team? Because the Hornets... Like I remember how I felt uh, game when they lost Game Six against the Heat in that last. That's the one that comes to mind, right? But even then, because the stakes—it's just a first-round playoff series—the stakes aren't high enough to really kind of rev you up in that way. Um, The Hornets have not had that kind of experience, and so fans have not had that kind of experience. So this was the closest thing in a while for me, where I was like, "Wow, I'm physically like emotionally upset by this." Yeah, I don't I don't have that response to this because you're right. I don't think the stakes, even though it would be understandable for a lot of Hornets fans to have that kind of feeling because there haven't been that many moments. Doug, we've talked about this franchise moments that are good. We have the Alonzo morning shot and that's about it. And then when we talk about moments that leave you feeling the exact way you just described, I feel that with the Miami Heat. I took that one hard as a fan watching the Hornets go down to the Miami Heat. That sucked because We all know that they have not had success in the postseason. We know that the only other time, which I wasn't old enough, I think, 
to understand it at the time, but when we talk about the early 2000s team that got to the second round of the playoffs and lost to the Bucks, wasn't it a game five that they almost won? An event, or was it game six? It was, I think it might have been game five. They almost won, then it collapsed, or maybe that was a game six. And then it was of game course, six. You know, it was the same kind of okay. issue that happened against the Heat. That's, that's why it was so yeah. like painful because it brought up those old memories of that Bucks series where if they had if they had taken um, yeah if they had taken it it was it was game over right and I think and look I wasn't old enough I would have been nine at that point so I wasn't old enough to care like I do now but I mean that that's another one that I could imagine Hornets fans would have the the one that I suffer is again the one loss against the Heat purple shirt guy and then Game Seven getting blown out I mean we saw that one coming but. I mean, game six was certainly painful. I didn't feel that here because it is regular season. It's just a remarkable loss. It is. It's absolutely insane. Well, and that that's why I felt that because mm. it was a remarkable loss. It was a spectacular loss. It was an embarrassing loss, and it feeds into a lot of the insecurities that I think we have as a as a fan base. And I think like we might be asking too much of this Hornets team. We want a high draft pick, but it's we also want player development, <laughs> but we also want uh, to not be embarrassed. We don't want to go, you know, Knicks bad, but we also don't want to get embarrassed on television like that. So it's like, I don't know. It, you, at some point, mm. you got to say, okay, what direct, what, what do I really want? What do I really oh. want as a fan? Do, do I really want that draft pick? Because, you know, M- Miami Dolphins fans are going through this right now, although they've they've shown some improvement lately, but they went through that early in the NFL season. It's like, do you want that number one pick to get that quarterback that's going to change the direction of your franchise? Okay, well, you're going to have to really deal with some dark, you know, dark <laughs> fan stuff at that point. It was funny to see Hornets Twitter, really all of Hornets Twitter, grapple with the same issues that you're having, that they were trying to feel exactly how they should feel. What They were exploring their deep inner feelings on, okay, what should be coming out? What emotion should be coming out right now? And it was funny seeing everybody really struggle with exactly how to feel about this game. Let's do a road trip recap. We still have a lot to get to and so little time. Uh, Hornets go one and three on their four game Eastern Conference road trip. Three of those four certainly winnable games. I don't think there's anybody that would argue, you know, Brooklyn without Kyrie Irving, New York is a mess. And, you know, Washington is certainly a team that's not very good. Um, they they lose those that three of the four right they lose those games and yeah they, well so New York they right, got right, the right, win right. against New York, New York, York and then Toronto one. they get blown out yeah Devonte they're able to win because of Devonte I should say Brooklyn right. and Washington were Barely a couple they were one, yeah. yeah right Brooklyn and Washington were a couple of bad losses Washington was really bad because that was also a collapse the Chicago one will make us forget about that with time but the Washington that was a bad one up thirteen eight thirty to go you're playing. All of the guys that indicate that they are absolutely trying to win this mm-hmm. basketball game and they just crumble and Washington's able to win. And you mentioned a lot of it was because Bradley Beal was the best player on the court. Yeah, this was a really difficult road trip for the Charlotte Hornets because it, it exposed uh, basically all of their weaknesses in terms of ability to defend the rim, uh, ability to defend the three point line, ability to defend in general. Um, and they're, they're, you know, just, they just turn the ball over too much. I mean, they are spotting teams 20 points a game, Walker. Mm-hmm. 20 points yeah. a game. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to win <laughs> basketball games when you are spotting the opposing team almost an entire quarter's worth 
of points and you're not playing defense. I mean, it doesn't matter how well Devontae Graham is playing, and he is playing exceptionally well. During that road trip, I mean, he was shooting, you know, 45, 45, 75 for his splits, 62% effective field goal percentage. I mean, he is out of his mind right now. Um, turning it over a little bit too much, but it's tough to criticize him when he's making so many plays for other people. Uh, And and then you compare him to Terry Rozier, who over the road trip, Terry Rozier had 1.5 percentage points more usage than Devontae Graham, but has played significantly worse on offense. And I don't know if you saw this too, Walker. Um, I I thought he had a, a good game against Chicago, but during that road trip, there were just so many possessions that would die on the vine while Terry Rozier was dribble driving into the lane with nowhere to go. And it's where a significant, like if you go back and look at all of his bad pass turnovers, I would say 80 to 90% of them are him dribbling into the lane, not having a plan, and then having to try to find somebody on the wing to pass it back out to. The defense sniffs it out because he's not hes not like Devontae Graham. He's not a fast, uh, uh, straight line dribble driver. He's somebody that probes and slows it down so the defense has time to react, and they end up poking it away, and it turns into two points for the other team on the other end. And just so many possessions like that, Walker. I'd, I'm a little concerned that we're getting old, scary Terry. Yeah, Terry Rozier has demonstrated that the best thing he does for the Hornets right now is shoot off ball, catch and shoot Terry Rozier with somebody else being the primary ball handler, he's having him on that. the perimeter. I understand that. Uh, he's the one. That's the one thing that he has demonstrated, at least to be somewhat consistent consistently good at for the Hornets or at least okay and average because we've talked about this before Terry Rozier in the pick and roll I don't like his decision making I think it's shoddy I think sometimes he's made some good ones but it's just too inconsistent for us to continue to rely on Terry Rozier when Terry has the basketball on the dribble in the paint We've seen him make bad decisions. That includes bad shot selection. Doug, when we looked at Dwayne Bacon constantly struggling at the rim, having the worst field goal percentage on the team with guys with a minimum field goal attempted inside the paint, Terry Rozier was not that far ahead of him when we checked it. Now, I don't have that stat in front of me now. I don't know if he's gotten a lot better, but just watching him, there has been some decent field goal games for him as far as the efficiency goes. But Terry Rozier has demonstrated bad basketball when he gets in the paint and has to exhibit some decision-making, shot selection. What he's done is he's done a pretty good job on catch-and-shoot threes. We know that off-ball, that's where Terry has demonstrated the best basketball, and it still is a problem when he's turning the ball over too much and still bad decision-making. That That is my assessment of what Terry Rozier has given the Charlotte Hornets right now, and you hope it certainly fixes itself, but right now, I, you're, you're right. Old, scary Terry is just in the purple and teal at this moment. So according to Clean the Glass right now, he is uh, shooting 51% at the rim. Uh, that would put him in the 24th percentile among point guards in the league, although... Yeah, it's not good. It's not good, but then again, is he? should he be in the point guard position on cleaning the glass? You know, I, I don't know. Is he, is he the point guard of this team, or is Devontae Graham the point guard? Who's, he's getting a little bit more usage than Devontae, so maybe that's fair to put him there. I think I, it's fair. I think you see enough usage out of him to where, if you were to ask me, I'd, I'd label him a one. I, I yeah. don't think there's any doubt. Okay, and then uh, mid, just overall, his mid-range game is at 48%. Uh, that would put him in the 83rd percentile. He's, he's getting a lot of good looks at short mid-range. Corner threes, he's actually top among point guards in corner three percentage at 45%. 
And then non-corner three, though, that drops to 32%. Overall, he is in the 58th percentile among point guards and shooting the three ball. And so you look at his points per shot attempts, it's actually weighted a little bit in his favor because lately he's been shooting very well from, from three. It's just all, all the other possessions, are, yeah. it's, it's so much he's either hitting a mid-range shot or he's turning the ball over or he's missing at the rim. Those stats back up exactly what I feel like I see out there on the court. All of those stats. Shooting pretty well in some of those instances. I, I'm not surprised to hear any of those stats that you just rattled off. By the way, real quick, Miles Bridges, 22% this year from the corner. That's mm. dead last among forwards, again, according to cleaningtheglass.com. He was such an effective corner three-point shooter towards the end of last season that's a surprise number for me he's four of 18 from the corner this season yeah pj washington stole that ability of course when he was drafted to the hornets and <laughs> 93rd we've seen that percentile he's, yeah. he's 55 yeah. from the corner i mean he is automatic yeah we've seen that we've seen him steal the ability of miles bridges in more ways than one this season when they're on the court at the same time and even when they're not on the court at the same time we'll try to get to some andre drummond rumors also the miami heat the Charlotte Hornets will play them next. We'll talk about it more on the Locked On Hornets podcast. This is Locked On Hornets. But what he showed in Summer League, comma, a Euro step into a windmill during a game, end of comma, oh, could yeah. put him on the radar of a radar, excuse <laughs> a me, radar. of all NBA. Yeah, on the radar. On the radar of <laughs> all NBA fans as a nightly highlight producer. Yeah, you're Charlotte, you're Charlotte coming out there. Yeah, I'm from, I'm from uh, Catawba County. Get so, them on the radar. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. A report by Sean Devaney, formerly of Sporting News, now with Heavy.com. He's got the Hornets linked to Andre Drummond in trade rumors. This is nothing new. We've seen this before. We saw it last year. Drummond is owed about $27 million this season and has a player option of 28.7 that he plans to exercise probably and become a free agent. So the Pistons are off to a bad start, Doug. They have a lot of money baked into this team. We knew that when they traded for Blake Griffin, desperately trying to make the playoffs and Stan Van Gundy desperately trying to keep his job. I thought then that would eventually lead to his demise because I didn't think that made them any better when they traded Tobias Harris and got Blake. Even though Blake Griffin is really good, Drummond, Blake Griffin, a lot of money tied up, especially in your front court. They don't make the playoffs. Stan Van Gundy loses his job. Then Dwayne Casey gets them to the eight seed, even though they're not in the postseason, according to Doug's personal record book. Here the D Detroit Pistons are maybe looking to get off of that money from Andre. And we've heard, if you listen to the Low Post podcast, I think Zach Lowe has mentioned it, every other podcast that Detroit should not pay Andre Jum uh, Drummond when his contract is up. So here the Hornets are looking for Andre. One, what do you make of the rumors? What do you make of Sean Devaney reporting this, who seems to be the guy on all of the Hornets leaks that are out there? Your overall thoughts on the report that we saw from Devaney? Sean sauces, baby. Sauces Devaney. I like it. Uh, NBA source. This is the tweet from Sean, by the way. NBA sources tell me the Hornets have been interested in Pistons center Andre Drummond for more than a year and are expected to target him for 2020 free agency. Um, and, and important to note here that Drummond has a $28.8 million player option that he has said he will not exercise. He has said he's not going to take that player option for next season. He's going to instead enter free agency, and that's where he would be available to be re-signed uh, by Detroit at this point with his bird rights. Uh, but as you said, many people are saying, hey, Detroit, don't do that. Uh, the Hornets stepping in, and maybe they want to do that. I think that would be a very bad idea. I don't think Andre mm -hmm. Drummond is the future 
of the league. And, you know, okay, if if you want to bring in Andre Drummond and you're sure that he's going to drop that player option and then you can send him, you know, on an iceberg out to some other team and you get to clear $28 million off your books, say Detroit wants to take back Nick Batum, you save a, a year of guaranteed money, I'm all for it. Okay, if you want to play that game, what I would be afraid of is that the Hornets actually want to do that in order to acquire his bird rights and give them the inside lane at re-signing him in free agency and do the same thing that they did with Nick Batum with Andre Drummond. And I think it would be the same result. It would make zero sense to bring in Andre Drummond to this team. I like Cody Zeller. I think he's a good basketball player. I would rather have Cody Zeller as my starting center. I don't want to pay Andre Drummond all that money and I certainly don't want to give up any assets to give him all that money. Okay, so it, it doesn't make sense if you're paying attention to the trends of the league and you understand where the league's going and you understand that, hey, the Hornets' best chance at getting out of this whole um, uh, mediocrity that they've been mired in for many years is to get bad for a little while and acquire assets and acquire picks and not pursue the playoffs, okay? Then it doesn't make sense. But if you just look at the roster as it's currently constructed, Andre Drummond checks a lot of the boxes that they need. I mean, they're a terrible rebounding team. Uh, They can't defend the rim at all. They get killed by teams that have any kind of size down low. Wendell Carter destroyed them. Uh, The Kings gave them problems. Uh, uh, New Orleans gave them problems. Like any team with size, the Lakers obviously gave them problems. Any teams with size down low, Uh, they're going to get beaten up. And so it makes a lot of sense from that perspective, but really no other perspective. And and if you're, you don't want the, I mean, I think most fans don't want the Hornets to to pursue the playoffs right now and acquiring Andre Drummond would be a strong signal that they are doing that. And if, if Devaney's report is to be believed and the Hornets are really exploring options to pursue Andre Drummond and free agency, Walker, that would go against everything that we've heard out of this front office, that they're not going to do that. Yeah. And so you have to wonder, one, how recent is this information? Like, look, not to dump on Sean Devaney. I'm just asking the simple question of, is this an aggregation report where, hey, they went to Andre Drummond. They were interested in him last year. Can I go back and maybe kind of put this out there again? Oh, yeah, sure. They were absolutely interested in Andre Drummond. It's somebody they've been interested in a while because I can't imagine anybody is leaking this at this time to Sean like that. The timing on this doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes sense in the way you suggested. It makes sense in the way that James Borrego has talked about how much he values protecting the rim and somebody big. We know this when he was an interim coach with Orlando. That was the kind of identity that Orlando sustained. And this is something we talked about when the draft was here. We talked about finding a big guy. It's why Jackson Hayes was in the conversation. It makes sense in those areas, but the timing of this doesn't make sense. The direction of the way they've told us where they want to go, that doesn't make sense. And ultimately, I think fans are leaning more towards, no, thank you, Andre. You stay in Detroit or you go somewhere else. The timing doesn't make sense. And whenever these rumors come out, you have to ask yourself, like, who is leaking this? Like, what what, what NBA source is leaking this? Who would do that and who would it benefit? And, and I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there's another team out there that may be pecking at Andre Drummond mm-hmm. in a trade. And if you're Detroit, then you want to drum up that there are other teams interested and that they should maybe throw in a little extra to make sure that Charlotte doesn't get their hands on Andre Drummond. Maybe that's the situation that's going on. But I, but I, I just want to iterate. I just want to reiterate that if the Hornets do make this move, 
it would go against everything that they've said publicly on the record. It would, uh, to me, it would, yes. it would drive completely against that. And I think at that point, you would have to have serious questions about whether or not this franchise understands what it wants to do and who it wants to be. By the way, Sean Devaney was also the guy that would have all the Frank Kaminsky leaks and how many teams were interested in him last year. Frank's the Whoa, source. Barely I know with him. Frank's the <laughs> yeah, source. Frank is the guy. Or he's just, at he's least mad about he's mad about how it ended in Charlotte, and now he's <laughs> going to just mess everything up. Doug, let's talk about this Miami Heat game real quickly. Hornets play them tonight. They play them in Miami. Uh, taking a look at some of the things that he are about. They're a defense first team. First and three-point field goal percentage allowed. Second and steals per game. Second and forced turnovers per game. Second and opponent rebounds per game. A lot of stats that are towards the top in their ranks. The Miami Heat are a very good basketball team. And when we talk about the best teams in the East, we mentioned Philadelphia coming into the season. We've mentioned Boston now uh, as they've been playing pretty well. You mentioned maybe even Toronto now, but you certainly mentioned Philadelphia and Milwaukee as those top teams. You know, where does Miami fall in the pecking order of some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference and what you expect to see from them going forward? Oh, I think, listen, if they stay healthy, I think they're going to be a very dangerous threats in the Eastern Conference. Will they will they win it all? Uh will they win the entire Eastern Conference? I'm I'm not sure because really you've got Jimmy Butler. You've had uh players on that team right now that are playing way above their pay grade. Do they fall back to earth? Does Kendrick Nunn understand that he's Kendrick Nunn? Uh do some of these other players I mean they're playing Gordon Drogic off the bench, but it doesn't really seem like he's a bench player. It seems like he's getting starter minutes. They've still got some things to figure out. Okay. That's number one. But I'm also sick of the Miami Heat. Because yeah. they just, they keep doing this. They keep finding these Duncan Robinson. Like, what is a Duncan Robinson? You've got to be kidding me. Finding these players, they bring them off the street. They bring them out of the G League. And, and these guys just, they, they end up on Dawkins highlight reels on YouTube. And you're like, wait a minute, that can't be right. I don't understand any of this. I've never heard this player's name before in my entire life. And somehow the Miami Heat have turned them into an uh, you know, all-star consideration. This is absurd. But it also speaks to the Miami Heat know who they are as a team. They know what kind of players they're looking for. And they know how to put player groups together that win basketball games. And I hate you, Eric Spolstra. I hate you because I want to be you. Yes, Spolstra is the guy. He's the main culprit. He is the center of all of our hatred towards the Miami Heat. Perhaps you hate Pat Riley, but I think the root of it is all Eric Spolstra with the way that he's been able to build these basketball teams. I think the interesting thing to me when evaluating the Heat is, Doug, we talked, a lot of people talked about how the Miami Heat just might go after a Russell Westbrook when he was on the market, and now that seems to have transitioned to Chris Paul. I haven't talked about it in a while, but we are all asking ourselves if the Heat are going to go for a second star to put alongside well, got, I mean, they have a to. Jimmy Butler. So now here's the question. We were first discussing, okay, the way you make that happen is including one of these younger pieces. Are you okay with getting rid of a first-round pick, a Tyler Hero, a Bam Adebayo, a Justice Winslow? You would think no. But with the progression of a Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson, yeah. are those guys going to be good enough to force a trade or to be the thing that sends an idea over for some other team to pull the trigger? Like, you know what, man? I think Kendrick Nunn is legit. I think Eric Spelser has done a good job, and I think our coach can do it because we're egotistical, right? Everybody thinks that they have the answers. It's why they all have the jobs. I think Kendrick Nunn is for real. We're going to trade for him. We don't need Justice Winslow, Miami. You can keep him. Uh, just give us Duncan and Kendrick and maybe something else, yada, yada. Here's Chris Paul. 
here's Chris Paul, here's like another all-star, right? Like, I don't, I don't know, but that's something that I think everybody should be paying attention to as the Heat go forward because their development system has been so good for them for so long. And just a couple of other things on the Miami Heat. They're actually very similar to the Hornets offensively in that the ball moves around a lot, and they don't have one or two. Even though they've got Jimmy Butler on the team, his usage is certainly higher than everyone else's. But at the same time, like his usage is at 26.4. Goran is at 26.2. Kendrick Nunn is at 24.3. Tyler Hero, who's plays off ball a lot, still touches the ball a lot, 20.4%. So similar to the Hornets where you've got Rozier, Graham, um, uh, Bridges touches the ball a lot, and Marvin touches the ball a lot more than he used to. Uh, so they're, they're just getting multiple players involved right now. And they, they just move the ball really well, but they also turn it over. Just offensively, this is a very similar team. It's just, oh, wait, they play defense. The Hornets don't. That probably will be the difference in the game. All right. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you tomorrow to recap the Miami Heat game.